Welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. There are five of us here today on week 10, I think it is, of lockdown. We can never remember when we're doing the introductions. I'm David Fraser. There are, we're now, we've changed basically from a Skype call to a Zoom call. We finally caught up with the times, which means we can all see each other and more importantly, the state of everyone's hair. So, we will go round the virtual table and say hello to everybody and their current haircut. So right beneath me on the Zoom is Chris Charles from BT Sport, sporting a cap and a, a somewhat of an overgrown hedge. Is it, Chris? How are you? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, the, the, the cap is... Uh, well, I, was, I wasn't going to wear a cap until Finney said I looked like Fred West, so I didn't want to put anyone off. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, my hair, for anyone old enough, uh, it resembles Leo Sayer, um, you know, who had hits in the 80s. And uh, for, a more, uh, for a more up-to-date reference, maybe Marouane Fellaini would be better, um, or even Sideshow Bob. Um, How much longer do you think you've got with it? Well, I've had clippers for two weeks, but my daughters refused to let me get it cut because they like because they like it. But it's going today. It is going today. Newsflash. Very good. Um, um, it does look like Fred West. I don't care what you say, and I can talk because I haven't got you. <laughs> Next haircut is Paul Finney. I look like a bin lid, and I want to shave my head, but no one in this house will let me because I look like a, a, a potato, apparently. But I don't care. Um, Chris, let's do it together today, okay? Let's let's have a mutual shave. Okay. You're also growing a bit of a. You're also growing a bit of a beard, Finney. There's some. There's yeah, some. My, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Face, face situation. It goes ginger as well, so I, I look very strange. I look like a a, a demented le- leprechaun. Um, <laughs> lovely, next, lovely. Next, he's trying to be a monk. Carry on. Ne- next on this rogues gallery is Flo. Hello, Flo. Which you have your hair tied back, so we've got no idea of whether you're happy with <laughs> to, it or not happy with it. To be honest, the lockdown hair situation is kind of fits my vibe anyway, because I only get my hair cut about once or twice a year, and I get my friend to cut it because I really don't like hairdressers. I don't like people touching my hair. Hairdressers never listen to what you want. They always go their own way. So this is fine for me because my hair grows quite slowly, so... You are so true. You are so true, Flo. I always say to him, make me look like... I give him the name of someone and, and they go out looking like me and they, they always say, well, that's what they look like if they came in here. But you, they don't listen. You're quite right. Yeah, don't trust them. Sorry no, to I'm... any of our listeners who are hairdressers. Incredible mm-hmm. cr- profession. My future cousin-in-law is a fantastic hairstylist and hairdresser, but I'm sorry. Don't, don't trust him. Moving on then, uh, and in what can only be described as a Sunday newspaper journalist dialing in to, um, what's that Sky Sports thing, what the papers say, or whatever it is, Sunday Supplement. Clive has got the journalist dialing into Sunday Supplement look here, with a nice big piece of artwork behind him, tanned head and shaved head. Clive, you've been DIY on the, on the bonnet, I can see. Yeah, I mean, that, it needed doing anyway, didn't it? Because I had the whole Steve McLaren Hair Island thing was creeping up on me. So uh, it's just, uh, it's given me an excuse. Um, and yes, 
professional on the screen, but if you uh, if you saw the mess around me, you would uh, you wouldn't be saying that. I don't think. Um, well, welcome all. I think so. What what we haven't we've kept fairly quiet about it, but we've got what we hope is a very good guest today because we've got the manager joining us. We've got Mark Warburton, uh, QPR boss, joining us, uh, telling us what he's been up to, what the plans are. It's been quite a it's quite a lot has happened this week, um, and so before he does. And let's face it, we're all expecting him to dial into this Zoom precisely on the time that he was given, right? Because mm-hmm. he's sort of that sort of efficient character, which means <laughs> we probably have about four minutes before Clive signals to say Mark Warburton's in the waiting room. The main thing that's happened this week, as far as I can see, is there's been this escalation in um, kind of project restart or whatever you want to call it. Apparently, training can resume on Monday, I think, and temperature checks and, and coronavirus tests have taken place the last few days. So it, it, it's, it's happening by the looks of it, guys. Mm. It's very strange, though, isn't it? It's going to be, after watching the Bundesliga last week, I'm just, yeah, I, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. But yeah, obviously, it's very desperate to get some TV money in. I suppose, and get it, get something to show. But yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say about it. What did, did anyone watch the Bundesliga? And what did you think? I've been watching uh, been watching Union Berlin, who lost to nil last week, and I think we're we're very heavily losing to nil last night when I gave up and turned over. So that's nice to be back in the in the swing of just perpetual disappointment. <laughs> did you enjoy it as much as you might do? without the crowds there. No, of course not. No. And it's hard work, wasn't it? Yeah, the whole thing it just feels like a training session and um we were having the discussion here last night about because Union are obviously quite sort of underdogs, newly promoted team, just how much it takes away from the underdog's ability to compete playing in a sterilized environment like that against Bayern last week and and Hertha this week. It just turns it into a training session against better players. So I don't know what, how QPR fit into that, really, whether you think it would benefit us or not, looking um, you know, looking at our fixtures. We've got some, some sort of winnable games, haven't we? Um, I mean, it, playing in the League Cup for us is basically playing a training game if we play at home. So I feel like we're used to that non-existent atmosphere because we get it a lot when we play in cup games. So maybe the players will just pretend like it's, you know, a Carabao Second, third round. Remind <laughs> me of our recording cups again. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> bad. That, that's what it is. Well, believe it or not, what did say. I say before we before we go further on? What did I say about Mark Warburton will one hundred percent be on time for this Zoom meeting? It's two Clive, minutes early. You know what, Clive? I need to take a picture of what Clive is doing because this is the moment. The signal that Clive, we asked Clive to give us was a W on the screen when Mark Warburton is here. So rather than ask each other these questions, and he is giving that W, rather than ask each other these questions, let's <laughs> get him in. Sorry, let's get him in and ask him those. And then we can talk nonsense after. Okay, I'm admitting Mark Warburton to the Zoom meeting. Mark, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. This is a view, a view of your particular corner of your house is one that we have got a lot used to because you, uh, and I suppose that's a compliment to you because you've been uh, very kind of transparent and open and, and uh, have been communicating with the media and fans um, throughout the lockdown. Um, first of all, clear up where we are with everything. Are the, the players returning to training 
to, on Monday. Is that right? That's right. So they're going back to what they call small group training. So that's basically going to be groups of a maximum of five, limited number of staff, no entry to the buildings, um, no showers, no food. Everything you take for granted normally won't be in place. So it'll be small group training. They turn up in their kit, their own water bottles, their own suntan lotion, etc. drive in, park X metres away from the next person, train, out they go. And this is really as basic as that. So in terms of safety, that's where we are. The hard bit is the progression to to contact training. But hopefully let's get, I think we'll get two weeks of this. Hopefully touch what all goes well and then see how we progress. And how can I put this delicately? There's been a lot of conversation in the media in recent days about people who may not be comfortable, people in the football industry who may not be comfortable with those arrangements. What is the status of that with you and the rest of the players? No, the, the doctor, if I could say one point, the doctor at the club, uh, Dr. Ahmed has been outstanding from day one. He's been ahead of the curve. He's given the, the players and staff so much reassurance, information, very early, great advice. Um, so that's been really helpful for us. And the players have been, you know, it's been transparent right the way through. We've given forms for any concerns or questions to be answered. Uh, and Touchwood been a really good place. You know, the players are happy. They all had their testing on Friday. They're all good. See the kids in the background. Uh, the boys, are, they, they're all good. And the staff tested. It's not just players. You know, we always talk about the players being the most important. In this situation now, whether it's the, you know, the youngest staff member, the oldest staff member, the youngest player, whoever it is, it's about making sure safety is right. So I think we're in a good place. A lot of good work's been done by a lot of people. And hopefully we can now move it forward and see how the next two weeks unfold. First of all, sorry for putting you off mid-answer, because, yes, my kids appeared on screen because they were very excited to see you. How are you, kids? All good? (laughs) George and Lily waving back to you. Um, What I was going to ask was, what is the procedure, what's the view on players who may not be comfortable and if a player ultimately doesn't want to come back? At the end of the day, you have to respect someone's decision. You know, it's, it's not just about the players. I don't think a player or a staff member is going to say, I am personally concerned. It's more a case of what you're taking back and who you're going back to, be it children, be it elderly, be it in a vulnerable high-risk category, etc. We've got to make sure that they are fully comfortable. The testing is being done twice a week. Cynics will say, well, you could be tested on a Monday and then catch it on a Tuesday. I understand that. Nothing's going to be perfect. We've got to make sure from our point of view that everything is done to reassure them and make them feel comfortable coming to training. If someone has an issue, I hope they would have made it by now. But also, we have to respect the decision and stand by them and help them. I don't know if, Flo, were you going to come in there? Yeah, hi, Mark. Uh, a bit different to how we usually do things in, in the tunnel after games, but um, good to see you. You're looking well. Um, I was wondering, how do you sort of kind of motivate the players now when coming back after such a long break and obviously at the very top it's quite clear for you know Leeds West Brom and the like where what they need to do for the rest of these games obviously we're within you know touching distance of a potential playoffs but how do you say guys look it's not just about finishing the season which is the pressure from FA EFL whatever just to get it over and done with what's your target now on the return I think the target is every time you pull it, I don't want to sound really corny and use old cliches here, but every time you pull the shirt on, there's got to be a pride. They're professional athletes. 
and they want to do well and they go to work, the reason they get paid more than the average person is they go to work and do their job in front of thousands of people on a normal, normal basis. And that's why they do what they, they get what they get. So from that point of view, they've got to have a pride about what they do at work. Now we are, from QPR's perspective, we're mid-table, we're six points off the playoffs. We've got, you know, every game is tough, but we're in a good run of form. We have good players and a real belief in the squad. So we have to give it our best shot. There's 27 points available. We have to go for every single point. That's what every manager will be saying the same. Every, every athlete has been away in an environment that's really alien to them. You know, they're used to team interaction, working every day, the banter, the social side of football, working together, driving together. Now they're at home running on the roads on a 5K training run, for example. So really different. They want to get back. They want to get back to what they know. They have, we, our job, though, is to tell them that what they know has now changed. The normal landscape that we all know in every business will have changed or will definitely change. So it's them adapting to the new landscape really well. It's not about highlighting problems. It's about finding solutions because any player, any staff member can say, this is that and this isn't good enough or we never used to do this. That's irrelevant now. The world has changed. So that desire to get back, that desire to get the points on the board is all part of their professional makeup. They're hungry athletes who want to do well for themselves, selfishly, and for the club, of course. So get the balance right, highlight what we need to do, and we should be in a good place. Um, Marcus Paul here. Um, I kind of wonder, does it help when the press are quoting certain players, not all players or whatever, as not wanting to train or be involved? How would, how would the clubs look at them sort of players? Will they, will they get a choice whether they play or not? Or is it just like all for one and one for all kind of mentality? So is it, in other words, is the press helping with coaching players as being worried and scared? I think what we have to realise, Paul, is that the press, you know, media, TV is, is crying out for content and it hasn't got content. Normally the pages are filled with the build-up to games, you know, the review of games, post-match, all this. They have no content. So therefore, they're going to jump on anything they possibly can. So there's obviously a story there. And as I said, every club, I'm sure, every manager, every CEO, director of football will will respect the fact that a certain player may have a different view. He may well have vulnerable parents at home or a high-risk child. Or We have to respect it, simple as that. Is it ideal? No. You know, one team might lose four or five players, key players. Who knows? I don't. I, all I can do is look after our own ship here, and our players have been really well documented about what's going on, how to prepare, what to expect, what we're doing about certain issues, how we're confronting problems, and they're in a good place right now. What happens going forward, Paul? I don't know, but the media is going to jump on any story, and that's why in in such times you've got to be very, very careful what you read, what you believe, what you buy into. Mark, how are you going to train over the next couple of weeks? Because like you say, you can only do small groups and they've been away for, what, eight, nine weeks now. So how does the next two weeks look? How do you train a football team when you can only have two or three of them together at the same time? Great question. I mean, all it is really, the first, the first, we're back in on Monday, Wednesday and Thursday of this week because, again, they've been off since the 13th of March. So we've had like 10 weeks off. So in terms of, you know, you can't bring them in and batter them from day one. That's not the way you go about it. You have to, otherwise, we have a, a medical room full of players at a time when the medical staff are wearing full PPE and can't really touch them. So it's, it's a case of easing them back in. The first three days will be some generic ball familiarisation, hard work, but nothing overly excessive. Uh, and then second week, we go to four days, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, which will be more position-specific work. So we can do, you know, full-backs crossing for a forward to finish or defender to clear, etc. More, more passing drills in, in certain areas of the park. So a bit more specific to their positions, but still we need this. We need the move to contact training, Clive, because without that, 
you're, you're always, there's only so many passing drills. There's only so many moving patterns you can work. The players will want to now go to the next stage. But go back to Paul's earlier question, Flo, we've got to make sure it's safe for them to do so. Hi, Mark. It's Chris. How are you doing, mate? It's all good, thank you. You? Yeah, fine, thanks. Um, is it your view that we need to finish this season come what may, even if it eats into next season? Absolutely. 100%, Chris. I've got to be honest. Uh, I apologise. Get me off my soapbox if I start having a rant. I cannot understand how we talk about starting something without finishing this season that we're 80% through. I compare it to being asked to build an extension by a builder who gets 80% through and then stops and goes and paints the bathroom. Finish what we've started. And it's really important, the integrity of the game. And I don't understand the rush for next season. You know, we could go through to the end of August. I don't, health and safety have to be the priority. I understand TV broadcasts and contracts. We all understand that. We don't know the details of them, Chris, but they're, we understand they're very significant. But the fact is that if the health is a priority, do it right. Do it right. So I think we have to finish this season for integrity throughout and then decide on, for example, how long is the break? Do we have a summer break? I'm reading that the end of August marks the Champions League final, Europa League final, and then the Premier League will start on the 12th of September. Are we really going to have that situation? And if so, why? To try and fill in next season. There's got to be pain. We've had a global pandemic. There's got to be pain somewhere. And no one seems, everyone talks about taking, taking pain, but no one wants to take it. So for me, it's next season. Now, do we go, for example, January to the end of October and get onto Qatar's schedule that in 2022 allows us to go naturally into a World Cup? Does that mean we have a summer break for the Euros, for example? So the winter, we have a summer break and in, in the players will be in mid-season in great shape as opposed to being the end of a season. They'll be in great shape to go and compete in the Euros next summer. There's an option and people go, oh, it's ludicrous, we never do that. We've never had COVID-19 before. So we've got to try and find solutions. So I think for me, finish this season, give the appropriate break. Do we have a window is the next question, Chris. Well, how do you have a window? How do you spend money when you're furloughing staff, pay cuts, job cuts? It's immorally, for me, reprehensible to even think about spending money in a window if you've been that type of club, which 95% of the clubs have been. So again, do you need time for window? Do we finish at the end of August? Give September as a four-week off-season, give October as the pre-season, be it condensed, and start again November the 1st, for example. I don't know, I'm just saying we've got to find a, a solution, but we must surely finish what we've started. So I get that uh, as the football manager, I get why you would want to finish the season and the players want to finish the season. There's been things that have come out this week in the lower divisions about there being uh, points per game and potentially... Uh, 51% of the league can vote to, to call the league off. I know your opinion is that QPR should finish the season. Is that QPR's opinion as a whole? Would we vote to continue or would we vote to, to stop if it came down to it? No, guys, certainly in the championship, all I can comment on is what I'm privy to in terms of the championship. There's an absolute energy to, to finish the season, be it from CEOs, owners, managers, coaches and players. There's no doubt about that. Everyone I speak to, you'll read one or two clubs are keen to finish. And I'm not being rude to any clubs, but it's not about self-interest. It's got to be about for the good of football. And it's easy for, you know, we're, you can say we're sitting here and touch wood, we're safe and we're in a good position. No, it's not about that. It's, self-interest has got to go out the window club right now. So I think there's a real desire in a championship. And I understand in Leagues 1 and 2, when you have whole departments furloughed, the moment you bring them out of furlough, you have to write checks. So at the moment, the pain, I'd imagine, are just my opinion here, 
the pain isn't as acute as it's going to be the moment they come out of furlough. So there's no rush to get them back in League Two and League One. But you have you have big clubs in League One, the Sunderlands and the Portsmouths, etc. These, these are big clubs pushing hard. So I understand there's a lot of division, a lot of debate rather in League One. But for the Championship, everyone I've spoken to has been consistent in wanting to get the uh, the league finished. Mark, my question on the whole de- the debate around the phrase the integrity of the competition and that finishing off the season, you know, you have to have the integrity of the competition and therefore finish off the season. But isn't it compromised beyond comprehension anyway? The players have had teams that were on a run are no longer on a run. Players that were injured are no longer injured. Um, certain players, you may have teams, particularly in London, for example, that may have a number of players that don't play because they've been, their families have been harder hit than players from, than teams from other areas of the country. So even if it comes back, isn't it, this is what I'm struggling with as a fan, isn't it compromised anyway? It, it's obviously, the situation we're going through now in terms of the virus, COVID-19, everyone uses words like unprecedented and then doesn't really, re- doesn't really react or respond in that way. It is unprecedented. So therefore, we are going to face... Uh, imperfect scenarios, as you rightly say, everything you just mentioned there, fully agree with, fully understand. But we're over 80% through an event. So, okay, then we're going to move straight into next season. When? When do we start? The same problems are faced. What happens if we then have an outbreak in November when we're four games in? What do we do? What happens next season? All these questions we cannot answer. So in my mind, I understand if we were... 50% 50% or less through this season, I would absolutely agree with the fans' view of not avoiding it. We're 80% through. You have questions to ask. Yes, you mentioned someone mentioned Leeds and West Brom, Forest, Brentford, etc., Preston, Bristol City. You, you know, we, we're in it. We, we have two or three good wins. We're in it. You have the relegation situation where I also think if we go back to football now, the fans, you tell me if I'm wrong, the fans and everyone involved in football is desperate for the games to come back. Do we go back to the start of the season, which is a, a slow burn, or do we go back to the excitement of relegation, promotion, playoffs, etc.? I think, for the good of the game, go back to where we where we left it. That's my honest opinion. I understand your view, but I, for, I, for me, I feel very strongly that we're eighty percent through now. We've got a we've got a responsibility to finish this season, and the pain for me is next year. So, for you as fans, you said right, we were actually going to finish this season in October. November's going to be off-season. December's going to be pre-season, and we start in January. And January is going to be a condensed season. It's going to be you play each team once, and you may play every one, three, five, seven away, every even you play at home. And at the end of it, we have an MLS-style cut. If that's what we have to do, David, for one year, and you know the format, the fans, I think, buy into it. It's, that's where our pain is. But there's got to be... Everyone says to me, oh, you know, it's difficult... I don't want that idea. We've never done that before, but we've never had a COVID-19 before. So, so for me, where do we feel the pain? In my opinion, I'd rather finish this season and feel the pain next season or make long-term adjustments, i.e. January, end of October, summer break, get on schedule for Qatar 2022. Mark, you may not be able to, to answer this, but uh, is it your understanding uh, as it stands that the nine games we've got will be played in the order they are or will we get new fixtures? Fixtures, or do we not know? At the no, there's, there's no confidentiality there. As far as I'm aware, we go back to playing Barnsley first game and finish with West Brom. That's as, as I understand it. So, I mean, whether that's changed at CEO level or above, you know, without my awareness, that could be the case. But I think 
as CEO leaders, but Les has been very um, transparent, great communication. So as far as I'm aware, our first game would be Barnsley. And again, really difficult question. And like you say, immoral in a way, but you know, that's, that's football. You will have had plans for the, for the summer of players that may have been going for money and how that money might have got used. What sort of planning can you do for that now, or is it just completely right. up in the air? This, uh, they're great. They're good. They're very sensible questions. They're very uh, direct questions because it has to be. I mean, how do you? We would normally now be doing our preseason training camp. You know, our players, our targets, our recruitment meetings, everything that you know about as fans and and football people. But it's up in the air. I don't, you could have a player. A team might have a player valued at ten million in January, who's now valued at four. That's the harsh reality. You know, because, and again, what about the clubs that have, have used those players for, for assets on their balance sheet? You know, yeah, we've got a 25, 30 million pound asset. No, you haven't. He's 15. Or no, you haven't. He's eight. And it's that type of scenario. Players who are valued at four might be valued at one and a half now. And they have massive implications for the clubs. So my comment previously about transfer window, I stand by. I don't know how you furlough staff. And, that, and therefore, you're targeting loan and you're targeting out of contract free players. So then fans go, get him, he's out of contract. Yeah, if he's out of contract and there's no transfer fee and he should be on six grand a week, the agent wants 10. You know, the agent now, you hope, is understanding where we are in terms of the world right now, the new landscape, financial landscape. Many of them don't, so therefore they come in and there's always a price to pay with a free player. Because in the agent's world, he's free. It would normally be three million quid, he's free now. But it's yin and yang. So yes, you may lose on one hand, so you might have a £3 million player that is now worth 1.2, but the £3 million player you were going to go and buy is now only 1.2. It works both ways. So um, all I can say, I'm not really answering your question. It's just a case of feeling it slowly as we go along. That's all we can do. You know, if, we, if a club sells a player, how much do you sell him for? How much of that can you utilise to go on to, on to player uh, recruitment? How much has to go... There has been a worry on this uh, and something that we've talked about on the podcast in the last few weeks, which is, I suppose, as fans, we were, rightly or wrongly, may have been inaccurate, but I guess we were preparing ourselves for Abir Eze to maybe not be here at the end of whenever the next window is. But on the flip side, we were hope we, if in that scenario, the club would be getting a good fee. Is it possible now that there is a perfect storm in place where not only do the players get devalued, but also clubs are forced to sell them at that much lower value. And so in that scenario, they end up sending their best assets at a lot less than they might have done otherwise because they have to sell them at the end of this. Yeah, I'll answer the question, but if I can, not from a cupid. I don't want to come out and say Mark said about Ebiru I'm not. I'm saying about clubs in general. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. My, my big fear is if you are one of the buying clubs, if you're a big Premier League club, certainly there has to be an opportunity. Um, you know, you look at no one's talked about Brexit and British players and the value, etc. That can work any other way and be a counterbalance, David, as well. But no, there's, there's no doubt that you can you could lose players below their assets. Clubs will be forced to sell. There'd be you know deferrals and wages and for everything else that comes with it. At the moment, there's no spectators coming through the turnstiles. There's no revenue coming in. So yes, in answer to your question, but also as I say, the flip side of that is yes, you might lose out on your player you're trying to sell but also the player you're trying to buy becomes a third of the price. So there's a yin and a yang. It's just making sure you can try and trade well. And also the rubber of the green has got to go your way. 
Simple as that. You know, there's, there's some very good players out there. If there's a market for them and there's a bit of an auction, then hopefully the price is not too badly discounted. If there's not, and a club has to sell, and another club knows that, they're going to come in with a really low bid. So I think it'd be a tough time for many clubs, but you have to be very careful how you, how you pick and choose. Mark, can I just step outside the current situation for a little bit? Um, you mentioned the Berriese. Uh, how, how good is he? I mean, I, I, people like Graham Sooners have said he could walk into any tip-top six side in the country. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I'm, I'm re- I hope you understand. I'm nervous to talk about one player because it's about the squad and, you know, we have a lot of really good, talented players, young and old. Oh, um, but I've been quite clear about Berriese. I'll always, you know, for me, yes, he is, he is a top six Premier League player. And that's then that those type of comments can't be said loosely, because that level, the level of that of those type of clubs, the players you're talking about, global, a global recruitment network. But I see a player that's still only 21. I see a player that's got a fantastic attitude and character, two good feet, powerful athlete, uh, plays the game, manages to play the game at his pace. Can almost look lazy and slow sometimes, but that's just because he creates so much time for himself. So no, I, I see a very you know, as I say, it's not about one player, it's about our squad, but I see a player there who, who could go to the very highest level of the game. I heard Graham Suits' comments. I know Graham, and I totally agree with him. Um, Mark, can I just go for the tabloid type question for the headline? Yes. Um, have you been doing DIY? Me? Yes. That. Indeed. Yep. No, that's my wife asking me to look after wine glass. And Ooh. the one glass snapped and cut my thumb, basically. That's all. If you've seen any effort of me doing DIY, you would not want me anywhere near a tall bag. <laughs> all I'm going to say. I, 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 saw your, I saw your plastered thumb on the club's Twitter feed yesterday, and I yes. thought, I won't ask that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, the only good thing about me is I know I'm awful at DIY. Other people think they're good and they try. I know I am awful, so therefore I don't even attempt. I can mow the lawn, I can paint a wall, and that's about as far as it goes. Mark, I was going to say, you're someone who's obviously used to, to life without football because you came into the game a bit later than some other coaches. So what have you been doing during lockdown? I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's uh, be very different for us. Um, you, you try and the, the LMA, the, you know, the League Managers Association are outstanding. They're our union. They are out, out, out. I can't say how good they've been. Daily briefings, webinars every week, some outstanding people in the webinars. So that the educational side goes on. You read, and I'm not trying to sound like an anorak, but you read, you know, what you think relevant books to help you. Um, and you plan. You know, I'm sitting here with, with books and things around me and pads because... We have to make sure we're ready for when we do come back. But again, you don't know, you know, you do all the sessions and then you do small group training, for example. So you do what you have to do. You, you do your daily walk, your 10K walk every day and try and keep yourself fit and keep the weight down uh, and, do, and do that. And also, you have to just get used to, not get used to, you have to enjoy some family time. So you're out of the house, you know, normally you leave the early hours of the morning, get back late, have a rush dinner, get on the phone and that's it. So it's actually nice to spend some time with the family. And as I say, it's just a shame the golf courses were closed. But, uh, <laughs> but other than when, that, we, no. when we chatted to Liam Kelly, he, it sounded like he was really struggling and really missing football, really kind of longing to get back there and, and was really frustrated about the situation, as we all are. But he sounded like he was, he was, you know, a little bit kind of 
I don't want to say miserable because that's not fair, but he felt like he was struggling with the situation. How would the club been trying to support players, I guess, from a kind of psychological point of view? Because this whole situation is hard on everyone, but especially for footballers who are so used to having such a strict routine and, and a lot of their kind of life obviously re- revolves around one thing. When that one thing's taken away from you, it's very difficult. It is. Um, I've got to be really careful I answer this. I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. So, yes, I think you've got to talk to the players. I'll speak to the players twice a week and call them and John will call and the doctors and the medical guys who try to rotate it and, and speak to them. As you rightly say, professional players are used to being told what to do, what time to report, what to eat, where to go, where to be for massage analysis. We travel at this time, you know, the hotel, there's your room number. They're told what to do. And when you speak to players retiring from the game, that's very hard for them because it's a complete change. And, and this is where I've got to be careful. I don't want to... The players are good guys. The, 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 the world is facing the challenge. And I, I don't want to sound like an old man either. But I, I do get very frustrated when I read about the massive problems being faced by footballers. Because without being rude to some players, they're on thousands a week. And I think, for me, the pressure is, if you can't put a roof over your head or food on the table, that's a different proposition. So I'm, I'm always really supportive of anyone facing an issue. Our job is to help them to the best of our ability. But I'm reading more and more about footballers, and I think the image of the game is all important to, to supporters. And I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but when I keep hearing a guy on 40 grand a week is struggling because he can't play football, and I'm reading about people losing their businesses and 9,000 laid off and 12,000 BA, and I think we've got to be really careful as a game how we, how we cover that area. I don't be controversial there. I just want to be honest. So, so, yeah, so, so all of us as well, Mark. I don't think you'd get a lot of disagreement here. Um, you mentioned, uh, we were talking about Abire Eze, and you mentioned we've obviously got other, you know, very talented players, some great young players at the club at the moment. Sorry to be the one to ask again, but contract negotiations with a couple of them were, were progressing before all of this. Ryan Manning, Bright Say, Samuel, is all of that on hold now? Does this make it more likely that they would stay or, or, you know, no, no they're, they're good questions. They're right. If I was a fan, I'd be asking the same questions. So I've got, I've got no problem with that. And the best policy is always honesty. Simple as that. You know, um, every year we want to keep our young talents. Of course we do. The club, Leslie, etc., will offer what we think are absolutely the right level. The question is, if if you're a player that is due is worth X a week, let's pick a number. Let's pick it. I've, I've no idea what the number might be. So let's, let's say five grand a week. You're due five grand a week. But QPR can only afford 3750 for example. And that's a genuine what we can afford. The player's got to decide. Do I want to be at QPR working really hard? You know, we're a team whereby young players get a chance. Hopefully, the, you know, we're, we're playing in a, in a way that they can, they can show their, their talents and their attributes. And my move might come further down the line. Or do they say, no, I'm worth five, I'm going. At that point, you have to say as a fan, as a manager, as a staff member, the only one players who want to be at the club. I'm not talking about Ryan or anyone else. I'm saying that has to be a policy in general. You've got to stand by the squad. And I want people who always want to be at the club I'm at. If we're at QPR right now, you want to make sure everyone wants to be there. So I'm trying to answer your problem. I'm I'm talking too much. But you've got to make sure that you offer the right level. That's the key. If someone's worth five and you can afford five, but you offer two, that's different. But you've got to be very, very careful. And the market has moved. Have no doubt the market has moved. And if you know, if you were due, if a player at a low Premier League club was due 30 grand a week before the virus, I think he's now looking at 18, 15, 18. Right. 
So I think I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what I was, I was wondering whether that 375, uh, your hypothetical figure, 375 that might not have been attractive eight weeks ago, a longer contract on 375 might now be more attractive than it was. Yeah, maybe. And, and again, everyone will be different. Every agent, I speak to agents, Clive, and uh, sometimes I'm, think, I'm speaking to someone who's watching a completely different world to me. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Put your hands up. It's about opinion. We all love opinion, but some agents don't get it. You know, they're, they're advising their players that now's the time to move at, from various clubs. Where you go. If you're moving for a grand a week uh, to, to everyone in the street, that's £50,000 a year. But to a player with a short career who's going to uproot his family and move the other end of the country for that, I've got to question it. But if that's what they want to do, then you have to say, good luck and we move on. And there will be a lot of players available. I keep reading 1,400 players available. How many, are, how many of them are at the right level for a championship club like QPR? They've got to come in and impact us. If not, we've got to try our academy kids, surely. Mark, what's happening to the players whose contracts are up out at the end of June, but we will probably be playing over that period? What, what Has anything been done? On, to, yeah. to me? I know I've explained that badly, but I think you get the No, 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 not at all. No, the, um, so you have that one month's grace anyway, which takes us through to the end of July. Uh, in terms of payment, and, and UEFA and FIFA have come out and said that what denotes the end of a season shouldn't be a set date, but should be the final game of the season. So hopefully common sense and a, a good ethical behaviour will will mark it. Of course, players might have agreed moves. Players might be wary of injury. Go back to your earlier comment about integrity. You know, there's all these different factors, but you hope very much that um, clubs stand by a fairly moral code, I hope, as well. I'm being offered players. I'm being offered players, so he's ready to come. He's ready to come now. I said, we've got nine games to play. Yeah, but he's ready to commit to you guys. I said, do you not think it goes for our players as well? It works both ways. So I hope very much that um, we get through that, through UEFA and FIFA's guidelines, through the, um, the legal side not being a major impact. Let's get these nine games done. Hopefully all contracts are valid after that point. Um, Mark, that, that's, really, that's a real worry, if I'm being honest as a football fan, that you've got, well, you just said about agents, that they're, actually seeing this as a chance to make money. I just think it's really sad in the game. It reflects badly in the game. We need everyone to be together to show that we all come out of this strongly. That must be really frustrating if, if, if agents are going behind and unsettling players with, with this season still to go. I, I just can't believe that. It's outrageous. Well, listen, a, Paul, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good guys as well. There's a lot of really good guys. The trouble is, sometimes you've got to really break it down. If it was uh, your son, for example and he's 22, and he's done really well, and he's on the cusp of a good move to go from three grand a week to 10 grand a week, or from 10 grand a week to 25 a week, and the agent's on your doorstep, and you're the parent, what are you thinking? Now, what are, you, are you thinking, no, now's not the time for that, or are you thinking, this is my, this is my son's time? So there's two sides to it, you know, and, and they, they've got a responsibility to look after their player. I, I understand that. But I'm with you also that right now, we're, it's almost morally irresponsible in my mind, reprehensible to be looking at that side of it. But you have to respect the fact that's their job, I guess, and they're going about trying to do it the best of their ability. Mark, um, just before we go, regardless of the current situation, um, you do seem to have a good group of players there. You seem to, that they, the guys that have been on the podcast all seem to be very modest, even the ones that everyone's shouting about. It seems like the QPR and the community are doing really good work. You must be quite happy with the setup there. Is that, is that a fair yeah. comment? No, it is. It's, and it's, you know, I've, I've said 
you remember my comments at the start after a couple of games? I said how well the guys had gelled together and worked hard at that side of it. And that doesn't come easy. You know, they, they've, they've really responded well. We tried to get a good mix of, of seniority uh, and young ones and a mentoring role. And the guys have gelled. I can't speak high enough of them. I'm not saying that loosely. They've done, they're an outstanding group of, of, of characters and they work hard and they generally want to do well for the club. So I'm really, really pleased with that, with that side of it. Undoubtedly, the community do great work. Andy Evans and his team. You go to some clubs, you know, you, you see it and they say they're good, but they're not. QPR are generally, from what I see, heavily involved in the community, well-respected, do some outstanding work. So no, it's, a, it's a really good club. It's a really good club. And everyone told me there's a core of support at QPR, which is like solid, you know, wind and rain and stuff. They'll always be there. I think our job, and I put in my program notes, our job is to try and increase that core. You know, if we can get the, the players working hard and the fans can see the players, you have good days and not so good days. But if you can go and see the team always give 100%, then hopefully if we can increase that core by 1,500 fans or 2,000 fans, then we're, all, we're, we're doing a good job. So that, and that, that's got to be our main, our main focus. All the community work, fan base, good players, and hopefully increase that, that core number. Um, sorry, just before we go, one question. Sorry, everyone else. I know right. we'll, we'll let you go. Um, no problem. Have you been aware of the um, our ex-player, Joey Barton's obviously comments about what happened in Scotland? Um, yeah. And now that he's a manager, did you find, did, was that out of the blue, forgive the pun, or did you see that coming? No, um, I woke up one morning and my phone was jumping. If you don't know the uh, the Scottish media, Paul, it's unlike any other. It's It's, it's intrusive beyond belief. So having had two years at Glasgow, you get to know that. So my phone's jumping around and uh, I said at the time I was not going to get drawn into a, a playground spat with, with anyone, let alone a, a fellow manager. Um, but I just voiced my, my uh, disappointment that a fellow manager should indeed make such derisory, derogatory and nonsensical comments of that nature. Um, so I'll leave it at that, but take what you will. But I've never heard so much nonsense in my life, but... As I say, I won't get drawn into a playground spec with him. Well, we're doing yep. this interview at 10.54am and I have a feeling that it has to be much later in the day and we have to get a lot more alcohol down you. <laughs> I've got sort of answer for no, I've got to be honest, I love a glass of wine, but there's not enough alcohol in this world to get me to... to you know what, You know what, all joking apart, if you, especially in Scotland, you get drawn into that type of headline, there's no upside, I promise you. And I don't think anyone can un- understand what the Scottish media is like. And I went, I did two podcasts for Sue the Big And the fans. social media as well. The social media of those fans is beyond <laughs> madness. I, I will get five messages on here today. Uh, two will say, you snake for leaving, even though you're sacked. Next two, three will say, how did you lose a cup final, you southern? And that's just a, but you know yeah. yourself, it's a 1% minority. 95% mm. of fans are outstanding. And really good, but the media is so different. I get drawn into a spat with Joe Barn, it would run for days and days. Not because I'm important, far from it, just because <laughs> the look of the content. The look of the content, and that'd be it. Warburton calls Barton this. Barton responds by we're all we're all hopefully better than that. So in answer to the alcohol, I'm not sure how much I'd have to drink to give you that. <laughs> the thing is, I'll be honest with you, like I'm I'm from a wee place called Belfast, and the Celtic and Rangers thing is a wee bit of a big thing. Totally lost on me. Not interested. One iota. Um, I suppose I should support Glasgow Rangers, but I can't be arsed. No offence to Glasgow Rangers. I support Queen's Park Rangers, a much better side, in my opinion. But <laughs> that goldfish ball is amazing. But I went to the Euros in Northern Ireland, and my mate, um, and we're, we're Alan, and we're sitting down talking to 
Rangers fans and they're saying, who do you support a good QPR? They support Rangers, blah, blah. And they said to me, the first season you guys went up, they said, he has to win the triple or he's out. It's like, Jesus wept. Talk about pressure. Yeah, it is, I, honestly, I don't want to... If we're in a pub right now, having a pint, and you can talk about football and supporters, if you haven't been to an old firm game, you've got to go. You have to go, irrespective of... Just because it's, it's unlike anything else. But it is that the pressure and what it means. It's a different level of passion. I always thought mm. I'm a Tottenham fan. I was born in Tottenham High Road. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a natural Tottenham fan, not fanatical. That's my team. But I always thought Tottenham Arsenal was one of the biggest games. And you think Man U Liverpool or Leeds Man U. Then you go to Rangers Celtic and it's a, it's a different... And what it means, the build-up for weeks to the game and then the, the come down, if you win it, it's you know for days and weeks and weeks afterwards. If not, it's just a different level of passion. And as I say, it's not being derogatory to Southern supporters, but it is everything. Their whole life is the game. You know, and it's, you get to Ibox, I'd get at nine o'clock, there's 50 fans outside at nine in the morning and there's 5,000 by midday. And then it's, you just see them pouring 50,000 with thousands outside. It's a different level. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the media side of it, and I'm sort of like, well, no, the media side can be brutal. When we played Celtic in the, we beat them in the semi-final, Ronnie Dyla, if you remember, the manager uh, of Celtic, it was legal. You should have got, if it was down south here, any manager, coach or player would have gone legal against the paper. Papers, what was being said about him. But they get away with it. And mm. as I say, it's unlike anything else and you've got to experience it. And then you come down south again, you realise, what was that goldfish bowl all about? And then the moment you get to go back in it, you're just totally sucked into it, Paul. The, the, the weird thing is, Mark, I would ask Joey Barton what it's like to play in an old firm match, but he never turned up. There you go. <laughs> as I say there's many things I could say but I'll, uh, I'd rather um, reserve a little bit of dignity just a little bit anyway I don't think you're getting anywhere Paul so I think I think, I think we'll leave it there and, and after um, <laughs> 40 minutes with Mark I think we better finish anyway because you see you're, you're making those of us in PR realise that you know more about PR than us I think you're making the people in finance realise that you know more about finance people in content you see you know more about uh, you've got a better yeah. handle on uh, content than the rest of us so you're making us all feel inadequate and as a florist you turned up with a florist injury as well which is a cut finger well done <laughs> you covered that one as well <laughs> if only yeah that's my that's my claim to fame then Paul I mean I'm in trouble but uh, but no it's just I, I like talking to people I think all joking apart I've said to Paul Morrissey the more transparent we can be as supporters the more information we give you, the better it is. It's your club. And I'm amazed. And, you know, go to Glasgow Rangers again. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. You open a can of worms. Give the supporters more information. We're not giving you our team. We're not giving you the taxes we're going to play against Barnsley. But give the supporters more information. And that way, I think you have a better club. So hopefully that'll be the way going forward. Great. Mark, thank you. Pleasure. Enjoy Enjoy your Saturday. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Good luck. Thank you. Good luck in the playoff final, Mark. I was going to say. Good luck. Uh, good luck with training next week. Good luck with, with that pre-season before the Premier League. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. I'm beat Fulham. Beat Fulham. Please beat Fulham. Good. Nice to see you. Thank Cheers, you. Cheers, Cheers. Bye. 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 Okay. What an interesting interview. What? What? Um. He seems to know. I, I don't say this in a in a. I'm not being um, 
sarcastic. He knows a lot about a lot of things. I've never heard an interview with a manager showing a true understanding of players as assets on a balance sheet and what their depreciation will or won't mean before, amongst other subjects. But he I, th- I think what, you can, what you've got with Mark Warburton from just that brief 40 minutes is you've got a man who's worked in the real world and took it with him at every level of football and brought the real world into football. And that's got to be almost the first. Because don't forget, most managers and coaches have been in football since we were 15. So I find that fascinating. His grasp on everything was amazing, to be honest. He's a bit, bit more in touch with reality, I guess, than yeah, a lot of absolutely. managers. And more realistic as well, which is a rare thing in this game. Mm. I, I, that whole thing about footballers being now being out of their bubble is is a real thing. And I think that will... That will, there will be some sort of aftershocks of that because if anyone's mm. ever been around modern footballers, the top Premier League clubs literally have departments that pay their bills for them mm. and someone around to change their light bulbs for them. And I'm not even joking. No, no, um, completely. There are players who retire at 35 and have never paid a bill or opened a bank account. And now all of a sudden they've got to wash their own kit and drive <laughs> and dry, you know, and bring their own drinks into training with them and all that sort of stuff that this these are the sorts of issues that are going to sort of change footballers in the game for a long time and get them into the real world i think i wouldn't like to be uh i wouldn't like to be in charge of trying to train up a championship team for for championship football when you can only have three of them on the pitch at at any one time (laughs) non-contact and they've been left to their own devices for eight weeks i mean it's how would, how would you even start? You know, I was I was interested by what he had to say on that, but, you know, how do you even go about that? Also, what are the games... What's the quality of the games going to be like when we do start? Are people going to be kind of really standoffish? Obviously, like you said, Clive, Championship and the EFL in general is a pretty physical league. So, yeah, if um, if Tony Lyston was still here, I don't know how he would be coping playing in, uh, playing in the Championship under these sort of non-contact conditions. But it's going to be interesting for that game against Barnsley, who are also a fairly physical team. Like, what, you know, what a corner, for example. Are people going to be jostling with each other and being as kind of hands-on as they were, like, Three months ago, who knows? Well, I watched. I watched all the German football that was on last week and watched Tony Leisner's game. Actually, he was fantastic in the first half and terrible in the second. It was a bit of sort of all of Tony Leisner encapsulated into one ninety minutes. But the thing about the corners made me laugh actually because they were exactly the same as they always were: pulling, pushing, diving around, like fending people off. And then when they got substituted, they went and had to sit on the bench. Yeah, I saw that with masks on. Yeah, I got it. Hang on a minute. Like literally two minutes ago, jostling with someone that you're not isolated with and you don't play with. And now you're on the bench with your lot and you have to sit two metres away with a mask on. Mm. It's like something something not right here. I guess what they'll do is they'll just go back to what's natural and what's an instinct, and the instinct will be at corners mm. to do that sort of thing. But in their head, as they're going, it's like, oh, yeah, can't shake hands, got to put a mask on, and I've got to do yeah. this, I've got to do it. It's, it. It is totally bizarre, but I reckon players will want to strip, and Barnsley will be a physical game for us. I think that's going to be a baptism of fire. Welcome back to the championship. But it's and, and also, you know, players have had ages to recover, those who have had injuries, but then there's the opposite problem of being rushed back into... 90 minutes when your body is really out of shape because you've only been doing solo training and it's not used to the physicality again so you could end up with loads of players getting injured really quickly once we come back so yeah journalists know what the next steps are about it returning and there there seems to be meetings and announcements on mondays 
Does anyone know? Yeah, there's a couple of meetings going on because now sort of the EFL have to go to the FA and, and basically get their stamp of approval. And obviously League One, um, the, the, the kind of discussion to continue because there's not an agreement there. Whereas, in, like Warburton said, in the championship, bar a couple like Hull, there is a pretty kind of joint consensus. But now in, with League Two, they have to work out if there's going to be relegation. Now, obviously, those in League Two don't want there to be, but the FA are going to be the ones who sort of have to... Once the EFL can decide from there, then the the FA will add their kind of decision on top of that. But it's so complicated, and that's why I guess it's even more important for the championship to try and get get going again, whether Hull want to or or not. Hull, um, Hull are just absolutely shameless, aren't they? I mean, exactly. Why on earth would Hull, who've just sold their two best players and lost twelve games in a row, and their last two games were four nil and five nil? Why on earth would Hull not want to come back? I mean. It's just shameless, that one. I agree. I agree with Warburton. I think one way or another, we we've got to get this season finished, uh, even if it's the expense of a full season next season. And it, you know, you just curtail it into a twenty-four game season or whatever. Uh, that makes more sense to me. The point about next season that I think we discussed a little bit last week is that there is there is a possibility of you know the second wave. You know, one of the, another one of these phrases we're becoming. Uh, you know, in everyday language at the moment. Mm. If there's a second wave in October, November, and we have to go into a lockdown again, why are we rushing to get rid of this season to start another season, which also might not finish, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. And also that's why... Well, well, with with if League One ends and League Two do, is look, it, you know, very likely it's about to be ratified. But then they could end up potentially with no football for a very long time if we don't even reach, you know, next season. So it's a yeah, it's a, a weird scenario for everyone. But he is right. I don't in like. The sense, sorry, he is right in the sense that it's weird how they want the Champions League, the UEFA final all done. And then you're going to have a situation where you might be having the Euros and the World Cup within months of each other, which has got to be the most mm. insane thing ever. So something's got, he's right, someone's going to have to give him football and it, it won't be the championship clubs, it'll be world football that make the season as well. So it's, it's going to be weird. Sorry, Clive, what were you going to say? I say I don't like this idea that they've come up with that you either we're either going to finish the season or... It's a straight points per game, not weighted. So that's basically the league, the league table as it is now. And you only need 51% of the league to vote in favour of cancelling it to cancel it because then you've got, you've got a situation at the bottom of League One, for an example, where you know clubs, Tranmere are in the relegation zone and the clubs just above it could vote to finish the league. And as long as 13 of them do, you know, four teams go down. That doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I think all roads keep coming back to we've got to finish the season, don't they? Yeah, and there could be kind of that with with that as well. If you've got clubs voting against each other, you know, there's allegiances and kind of rivalries that go back, and they're gonna lean on people to vote certain ways. And obviously, the, the actions that they do now could have long term consequences for the stability yeah. of those clubs. And Mark, then Mark hinted at it, didn't he? He said, you know, you teams would vote with vest. There's there's vested exactly. interests. You know, like exactly. Hull, like Hull would obviously vote to end the league, but whether that's the right thing to do or not. And it's, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. And I think there's pressure for the next meeting on Tuesday for leagues to come to a, a decision. But it's, I mean, what do you expect on a Zoom call with <laughs> uh, tons of uh, CEOs and chairmen? And, and I don't think you're going to get that far. And there's been weeks of this. 
don't don't FAs need to notify FIFA this week what they're intending to do? I've got a feeling. So I, they, I think it's I think it's by first of June. So when right. so that will be the end of next week. Yeah. So there, there's meetings going on and on and on and basically there's pressure for the EFL to make their final decision so that the FA then can ratify it and then the FA can pass it on to the next up but yeah it's the promotion and relegation issues which are the problem is because obviously some clubs are saying let's have no relegation uh, but then that has obviously a knock-on effect up and down the whole pyramid so yeah okay Uh, anything else we've missed before we finish um, shake of the head from Clive and Chris, but Finney has unmuted himself. I have. I can, I can solve that. Do you want me to solve that? No, you bloody bugger, no. Um, no, um, of course, today is the show on Rangers Rewind, the uh, playoff final, and of course, Monday's anniversary. And um, yeah, what a day that was. I, I think that was probably one of the most enjoyable experiences of recent times as being a Queenspot Rangers fan. And seeing my club win at Wembley, I thought I'd never see the day, the lifetime, or the moment. And to do it as well with one shot is like me going to the pub and getting drunk on one cider. Absolutely brilliant. Aren't, they doing, the, aren't they doing a little rewatch with Green Hill, Zamora, someone yes. else as well, is it? Like a, goggle, but, uh, like a goggle yes. box thing. I yeah, think. exactly. Sounds quite funny. Yeah, Not just Gary O'Neill, the real hero. <laughs> Gary O'Neill. <laughs> Just even Paul just mentioning the playoff final as it puts an instant smile on the face and you're instantly transported back to, yeah, that, that, that crazy afternoon and, and then afterwards that crazy night in the Crown and Scepter. Do you know what? I, I couldn't even get drunk because I'd, I'd been up since five in the morning doing various things and blah, blah, blah. And I got so drunk way too early, I peaked too soon. So I just remember sort of sitting on a bench somewhere trying to take it all in and what happened and, and seeing people crawling past me in in Shepherd's Bush and uh, was pretty amazing. Uh, do you know I was I was a bit similar, Finney, because me and my brother did the walk from the stadium to Wembley, oh, yeah. and that was obviously like ten a.m. So we were drinking tinnies on that walk, and then obviously got to the stadium at like one and was already like a bit too pissed and had to kind of level up by the time of kickoff, and then obviously it was all a bit of a blur after that. It doesn't feel like it was so long ago and it's still so recent and the whole Wembley experience and everything else, but it was just such a beautiful day. Just If there's ever scripts or a film that should be made about that day, it was us and Steve McLaren's face when he came on the pitch and seen all the flags and stuff. He, I think we, we got the upper hand psychology-wise as well. It was just amazing. And, it, and didn't the Derby fans take it well? <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't read too much into the game. It's that we were bloody lucky, psychology and all of this I mean that's just a once in a you know one of those things that happens in football when it's your day it's your day I don't think there was anything more to it than that um, yeah, yeah don't mention don't mention the crown and scepter Chris it's, it's still it's still raw mate it's crazy. <laughs> I'm thinking of breaking in there like do you want, do you want to join me yeah absolutely mate yeah <laughs> Okay. By the way, David, I, lo- I loved your kids coming in with the. It reminded me of that BBC footage of the guys' kids <laughs> coming in and the, and the thing with the QPR show and stuff. And, well uh, played, sir. Well played. They, they, they did. They, and if anybody, um, uh, do we are we putting this video up? We probably are somewhere. Yeah, I think but so. It might be available somewhere. They got word that we had the manager on, and sort of snuck in for the first part. They were very well behaved. They, they did they well. Were. Unlike the father. Exactly. <laughs> um. Okay, that was good. 
let's uh, same time ish next week, I suppose, talking about whatever developments they have been. Um, thank you all very much. Um, thank you for people listening. Thank you guys. Have a good week, everyone. This has been open all hours. UPR. UPR.